Ryan said, my name is Stephen John, and I am the student ministry lead here at Grace. Um, it is my honor and privilege to get to preach to you this morning. Has anyone ever told you that being a Christian would make your life better? That's what I was brought up believing. I believed that when you became a Christian, you became a perfect happy person, or at least you should strive to be. I believe that when Jesus came into your life, it changed everything, but I also doubted that I could be perfect, and I struggled with that. And it was frustrating because I also thought that there was no way any real Christian could struggle with sadness, loneliness, or depression when they had Jesus in their lives. I was wrong. The psalm we'll be studying this morning deals with the author's despair and loneliness, feeling apart from the presence of God. We will see the full perspective of the Christian journey in this psalm. Let's turn now to Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I come, when can I come, and appear before God? Many of us this morning are in seasons of spiritual depression. We feel alone, like God's not there, asking ourselves, like the psalmist, when will I feel the presence of God again? The author describes his longing for the Lord as a deer who is thirsting for water. Now, the deer could easily quench its thirst for a short period of time uh, by eating food or drinking from stagnant puddles of water. But the deer longs for flowing streams. The psalmist is not asking God for money to help his painful needs. He's not longing for companionship from the opposite sex. His thirst isn't for notoriety or fame. He wants the presence of God. He wants close communion with his creator. Like a child who needs his dad to hold him in his arms and tell him, everything is going to be okay, son. Sinclair Ferguson describes this longing for God in the face of sorrows excellently when he says, thirst for God is often thought of as a kind of evangelical virtue, a mark of true spirituality. But we sometimes forget that the kind of thirst for God which the Bible speaks is also a terrible experience. It means that we feel a famine of his presence, an absence of his grace and power. Spiritual thirst is painful, not pleasant. It may produce melancholy, not melody in our lives. Longing for the presence of God is a lonely, awful feeling at times. Two years ago, I asked God to help me be a better father to my daughters. 
And overnight, that did not happen. What did happen overnight is that our van was repossessed because I was negligent with money and couldn't afford to make the payments. I had to get a second job bussing tables. I hated having to have a second job. I was embarrassed by it. But more so, I hated that it robbed me of time with my family. I now no longer got to see my daughters every night. I didn't get to read them bedtime stories. I felt spiritually empty, and I couldn't understand why God wasn't helping me. It's very easy in these seasons to want to quench our thirst by drinking from stagnant waters instead of waiting on flowing streams of grace. Binge-watching hours of TV to forget our problems is stagnant water we all drink from. Searching Pinterest to find the latest decor ideas to impress our friends and family is a stagnant water that leads to discontentment. Pornography is some of the dirtiest, disgusting sludge we consume for fleeting moments of joy. Finding flowing streams of water requires seeking and patience. In verse 3, the author continues to lament to God. My tears have been my food day and night. Why all day long people say to me, where is your God? Many of us put on a brave face in public. But inside our sadness is eating away at our joy. Crying our tears out at night have become a routine. Our coworkers ask us why we sing down. Our children ask us, Mommy, Daddy, why don't you read the Bible to us like you used to? These inquisitive questions remind us that God does not feel present in our lives. We also have the devil whispering daily in our ears, God's presence isn't with you because God doesn't love you. Where is God? He's left you when you needed him the most. In the book of Job, Satan was given authority by God to test Job because God knew Job's faith in him was strong. Satan caused many trials and afflictions to come upon Job because Satan wanted to turn one of God's most faithful children against God. In Job chapter 2, after Satan had affected Job with boils, his wife says to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die! Unfortunately, even some of our closest loved ones will mock, ridicule, and despise our faith in God while we are deep in despair. Now, some of us here this morning, we don't believe in God. We think Christians are hypocrites who are just performing, trying to act like everything is perfect and good, ignoring the pains and struggles of this world. 
I agree for the most part with that assessment. Because we Christians have built a culture where we demand perfection and we despise weakness. But here in this psalm and throughout the Bible, we see God's people struggling with life. So much that the author is eating his tears. In verse 4, the psalmist continues, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He remembers the good times. He remembers the festivals at the temple. He remembers what it was like to feel joy. There's nothing wrong with being encouraged by happier times. It can be the spark of grace that God uses to lift you up out of your troubles. However, more often times than not, God, or sorry, more often than not, it is a false hope that we depend on in our discouragements. If it could only be the way it used to be, I wouldn't be so miserable. If I could just be in my 20s again, with a head full of hair, I'd be happy. This way of thinking doesn't leave us satisfied. It leaves us stuck where we're at, never moving on to where God is taking us. We need to be asking, just as the author does in verse 5, when he asks, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Are we dejected because we're waiting on God's presence? Or are we thrown into turmoil, waiting on the world to please us? Scrolling through social media, filling up our Amazon cart, or going to parties to find happiness only to feel dissatisfied when the joyful pleasures of the world run dry. Waiting for God's presence is a foreign concept to some of us this morning. In our lowest moments, we've tried crying out to God hoping that we've said the right words to please the big man upstairs, only to receive silence. If we're receiving no reply, family, we should ask ourselves, what is going on in my heart? What is causing this disconnect? It's possible that the reason our souls are feeling apart from God is because we're holding on to sin that we have yet to turn away from. Listen to this quote from Matt Chandler. To be 99% known is to be unknown. To be 99% known but 1% not known is to be not known. If you have areas of your life that you're not being honest on, if you're trying to throw out this aura of being better off than you are, being more capable than you are, 
not stuck in the things you're stuck in, you have given the enemy a foothold that he will joyfully take advantage of. It's why it's not enough for you to simply be in community, but for you to be honest in that community about where you are, even if that means saying, I'm in a dark place. Other times, our souls are dejected, not due to sin, but because of life, right? Things are not going my way. I'm trying to be good to people. I'm volunteering, I'm giving to charity, but I'm not feeling the reward of happiness in return of my good deeds. We're in a pit of despair that we can't climb out of. Some of us are so severely depressed, we can't even form the words to make a prayer. But praise God. The psalmist shows us where our hope should lie on the back end of verse 5. This is the chorus of the psalm right here. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. His rescuer and his creator are one and the same. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 24 through 26. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, family, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. If this psalm was being played at a concert, this is where the stage lights would shine the brightest and all the singers would join together in full chorus with joyful and thankful praise to God. This is the hope the writer has been leading us to. A loving God who always cares for us. Who sent his son to restore us so we would not have to face the punishment of our sins. We don't have to suffer alone. But we need God. And we need God's people. We need them encouraging us. We need them at our house crying with us when we're going through tough times. And yes, we even need them correcting us. Next to God, there is no hope that will satisfy us for eternity. In the words of famous NASCAR driver, Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last inspiring <laughs> it's a funny quote I know but it's true when we apply this to God because if your hope is found in anything else but the redeeming gospel of Jesus on the cross then it is no hope at all it's not second it's not third it's nothing and here we end it Psalm 42 we're done we're happy we're good at the climax but the author here now shows and turns 
and the hope leads to salvation, but we shift back to his sad state. Verse 6, I am deeply depressed. A study on mental health by the Barna Group found that 39% of 18 to 35-year-olds in the U.S. often felt sad or depressed. 34% felt lonely and or isolated from others. Depression affects all of us, believers and non-believers. The psalmist continues in verse 6, telling God that because of his depression, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. He's reminded of all he's heard, seen, what he's been told of God's goodness, so that no matter how he feels, no matter what he's been through, he can trust and know that the Lord is the true source of hope. One night while cleaning tables at my second job, I was really missing my family. I was still feeling that spiritual depression. And that God, God began to help me and remind me of all the good things he's done for me. Every horrible thing that he's led me out of and pulled me out of. I realized that night he was answering my prayers. I was becoming a better father because now any time I had to spend with my daughters, I was present. I was hugging them. I was loving them. I wasn't worried about my time. I wanted to be with them. I also found that I had so much time while cleaning tables that I could cry out to God so much that I learned to be so dependent on him. And this realization brought me to a closer relationship with him, trusting him and loving him more than I ever had. And I don't know if I would have experienced that had things always been happy and joyful and perfect. But coming through that struggle strengthened my relationship with the Lord. God is always working even when we don't notice it. Be reminded, family, of all the times that the Lord has brought you through tough times when you've seen his hand at work in your lives. Let that remind and encourage you. And for those of us who aren't believers this morning, I have so many stories of friends that are not believers that have had instances where they've experienced God. I had a friend who told me about one night she drove to Walgreens to go buy razor blades because she was going to end her life that night. And on her way there, at a four-way stop, there was multiple car pileup. She couldn't get around either side. It wasn't just an easy turn around, go down a side street, get to Walgreens. She would have to make the trek far to get around to go to it. And she realized in that moment Something wants me to live. Something other than myself is causing me to stay alive right now. She realized the only direction she could head was home. Now, sometimes we attribute that 
as non-believers, we attribute that to the universe, Mother Earth, different deities, just chance. But no, this is a loving God who has made you in his image, cares for you, delights in you, and wants the best for you. He loves you in your mess, in your troubles, and even in your disbelief. Romans 8, verses 35 and 37 tells us, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, in verse 7 and 8, we get this back and forth from the author. In 7, he says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. In verse 7, the psalmist laments of the overwhelming feeling of God's absence and that it's the feeling of crashing waterfalls. But in verse 8, despite this horrible feeling, the psalmist knows that the Lord will send his faithful love by day. If you're new to Christianity, you may think that what the author is saying is that we as Christians enjoy being tortured by God. That is not the case. No, we understand that a loving father cares for his child and corrects his child because he understands that correction is the most loving thing he can do to set his son on the path to a joyful life with him. The loving arms of grace are greater than the miserable chains of sin. And you may say, well, that's all great. You're saying all this, but I don't feel it. I don't see it in my life. I don't see God doing these things. Let these verses lovingly challenge you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Many of us in this room, we believe he exists. But I feel like a lot of us aren't sure that he rewards those who seek him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 tells us, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seen him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the reward we're after. The inexpressible and glorious joy that we rejoice in because of our salvation in Christ. And there is a joy to be experienced in our sufferings. It doesn't mean that our finances get better. It doesn't mean that our sicknesses are healed or that our broken relationships are mended. These things absolutely 
can be accomplished by the power of God. But true joy comes when we collapse in the loving arms of our Savior and we say, I don't got this. I need you. I can't keep trying to do this by myself. Verse 9, the author says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Here the author questions God. And for some of us who are still clinging to that perfect, happy Christianity, this feels awkward to question God. But questioning God about your current or past struggles and sufferings does not mean that you lack faith. I'm going to say that again. Questioning God about your current or past struggles and sufferings does not mean that you lack faith. And I'm sorry if anyone has ever told you that you did and called themselves a Christian. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I understand it's hard to keep knocking when it feels like there's been no answer for years. And I can't give you the reasons why God has not answered you. What I can assure you is that he hears you, he sees you, and he loves you, and he wants the absolute best for you. My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Again, the psalmist tells God that people are questioning God's presence in his life. It's okay to cry out to God more than once about the same situation. But now let me ask you, have you considered that the best situation for you right now is to be brought low and humbled by God so that you can grow in your dependence of him and not in the world to please and satisfy you? Are you willing to ask God where he is this morning? Are you willing to share your pain with him? Look at this verse from Charles Spurgeon. Faith is allowed to question God on why he is displeased. And faith is even permitted to disagree with him and remind him of his promises and ask why they haven't been fulfilled. If the Lord is our refuge, when we find no refuge, it is time to raise the question, why is this? However, we must not let go of our faith. The Lord must still be my rock. We must remain confident only in God and never surrender our passion in him. Again, I want you to ask your soul, verse 11, why are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Rest on those questions. Meditate on them. Don't let them just pass by and think you have it figured out. But after you've asked that, 
and you've read that, I want you to read the rest of that verse. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. The author ends with the triumphant chorus of hope. Look to the cross to be your anchor of hope. Why? So you could see him still dying for your sins on the cross? No, because the one place Jesus no longer resides is on the cross. He sits at the right hand of the Father, speaking to the Father on your behalf, on my behalf. The cross reminds us of his loving grace to save us when we were dead in our sins and restore us to our Heavenly Father. That is why we take the bread and the wine. You do not have to accomplish what Jesus has already done for you. You're fighting in a war he has already won. Let your hope and faith in Jesus be the battle cry that lifts you off the ground and sends you charging back into the fight. And if you have not put your faith in Christ this morning before, I invite you, if you hear that calling from him, to place it in his hands and trust in the loving work of Christ, for he cares for you, he loves you, he died for you, he rose again and reigns as a king for you. Please listen as I read this last quote from Sinclair Ferguson. Faith in Christ does not remove all causes of discouragement. Rather, it enables us to overcome them. We may experience discouragement, but family, we will not be defeated by it. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning. As many of us are hurting, crying out to you, feeling hopeless and discouraged, I pray that your presence would be with us, Lord, and that your word would remind us that when we do not feel, see, hear any response, that we can trust in you. We thank you. We thank you for the cross of Christ and that it be our anchor at sea, that we would not sway far from your loving grace and be lost in the ocean of the world but that we cling to the rock of salvation that is Christ.